This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so this week's Pasha is Pasha's Noach. Second Pasha in the Torah talks about Noach and how he was saved, talks about the destruction of the world. There are many questions. But before we talk about Pasha's Noach, I want to tell you something amazing that happened today that has taught me a very big lesson in life. And um, in turn, I taught the girls that I was with today a lesson, I think, in life. So we decided in Benochaya, our high school, that we're going to take them up to climb Bear Mountains today. And um, the trail that we do in Bear Mountains, I brought Hashem, I've been doing for about 25 years. Um, and it's a totally, it's a trail that's off the trail. It's, there's no trail. And it's a very hard climb. It's hard on your heart. It's hard on your legs. Also, there's a part of the climb that's mamish all rocks that you have to climb really on your hands and your knees. These are high school girls. I always take my boys up there. These are high school girls. And I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work out, but we're going to give it a try to take these girls out of the city and into the mountains. And the mountain takes about three hours to climb. At the top of the mountain is a ranger station because this mountain is the highest mountain for 500 miles. So when you get to the top of the mountain, you can see for 500 miles. And there's a ranger station because the ranger is able to sit on top of the station. And if there's any smoke or any fire in the woods, he's able to see it. So it's, it's a very, very big challenge, especially for city kids who never climbed the mountain before, especially nothing against girls. But, you know, you tell a bunch of girls we're going to go climb a mountain. It's like, what do you mean I'm going to break my nails? I mean, what do you pray? What do you... But Walton, I don't even have sneakers that don't have heels. So, like, what are you thinking? Like, what are you thinking? So, so when I when I told them about it that we're going to do this, so there was a, I would say fifty fifty that um, that said yes, and fifty fifty that said no. We don't want to go on this trip. One doesn't like this is Reverend Wallstein's trip, and if you don't go on this trip, you're not in school. Today. Yeah. <laughs> so sort of not you're not in school, but you got to go on this trip. It's an absolute personal insult. It's my trip. How could you not go on my trip, right? None. So, so we loaded up the two vans. Some a little bit of attitude, not for many, but a little bit of attitude about going up the mountain. You know, who wants to go up a mountain? Okay. Anyway, now I know the beauty. I know the beauty, and I always talk about the beauty of our Kodesh Baruch Hu. It happens to be at the top of this mountain. There's a spot where I go. Don't try to find it because I go to be there alone, and. I shouldn't have told Torah to any time. Oh, no, they're going to put a camera on the top of the mountain now. But it's a, it's a spot on top of the mountain where you can really meditate and just sit and just connect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Um, it's right next to the Hudson, so there's water, and it's very windy because, because it's on the top. It's above all the other mountains, and the wind comes from all the other mountains. It's just, it's just an amazing spot that Baruch Hashem Hashem, I was able to find climbing that mountain. And I'm able to sit there and just close my eyes and just, just get very close to Kosh Baruch Hu. It's not so easy to go on Avenue J and get close to Kosh Baruch Hu. A bus, a truck, a meter, a meter made, right? <laughs> um, the concrete. It's a little bit hard. First of all, if you have any brains in your head, you're not going to close your eyes, right? That's number one. And number two, it's a little hard. So sometimes to get close to Kosh Baruch Hu, you have to get out and go away. And we, and, and you know, some people are going to say, what are you talking about? To get to close to Akash Baruch Hu, you have to go to shul and stick your head in the Arna Kodesh. 
and you have to open a safer. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not telling you that that's not true. But Chazal says that Moshe Rabbeinu found Hashem, got close to Hashem in the desert. No. He went to the desert to be away from the whole, from everybody else. And a person who's in the desert and he sits there and he sees nature and he sees how the whole desert world works, sees the Yad Hashem. Who else? Who else? went to the desert by himself and found Hashem, Dovan HaMelech. It says, Dovan HaMelech. That's where he went away from the, from, from all the noise and the buses and all the stuff. And, and, and that's where he was able to connect Hashem. So it's not so Meshuggah that, that a person should take time out of their life once in a while and maybe go, you know, on a safe time to a safe place, maybe Coney Island during the day or in the morning to watch the sunrise to sit by the ocean, to think, to watch, to watch the Bria. Because the Bria is the fingerprint of HaKadosh Baruch There's no such thing as nature. There's no such thing as nature. And why Hashem creates such a beautiful Bria and flowers and everything else is to bring us close to Hashem. And I have to say that what went on in that group today, climbing the mountain, I could have never taught in a shear. What they saw and the, their connection to HaKadosh Baruch out on that mountain, climbing that mountain by themselves, the connection to HaKadosh Baruch on the top of that mountain, it would, I don't know, I don't even know if I could bring it to you in a shear. So, what was the lesson that I learned? So, so there were four girls, three girls. So when we got out of the van, there was actually 22 girls on this trip. There were three girls that sat in the van and said, enjoy yourselves. We're not going. I didn't even bring sneakers to go. I'm wearing my, what do they call those ugly boots? Uggs, Uggs, right? I'm wearing, I'm wearing my Uggs. Nobody ever climbed your mountain Uggs, right? So we're not going. We're not going up the mountain. You should all go up. And there are two vans. Somebody was going to come drive the van to the top mountain because we have a barbecue on the top of the mountain. And we'll take a ride up and we'll wait for you. But I'm very much in my head that if you have a school and you have a group of people, it's all or nothing. That's the way I was brought up. So I went to these three girls and I said, no problem. The three of you don't go. We all don't go. We'll get into the van. We'll drive. We'll have a little picnic. And we'll go back to Brooklyn. So now all the other girls are like, oh, no. Well, just take us. We want to go. And I'm like, no, it's all or nothing. This is a chabura. This is a group. This is a family. And we all have to go. And if it's hard, we're going to help each other. But we're going to do this. So, Baruch Hashem, they piled out of the van, and we start up the mountain. Now, the beginning of this mountain, of this beer mountain, the, the off-trail that I take, is so steep. that It's not dangerous, but it's very steep. And when you, when you st- about, I would say, five minutes into climbing that part of the mountain, just when you start, five minutes, your heart is, is at 160 beats per minute. It's like, it, it, it feels like, and that's a healthy person. It feels like, mamish, your heart is coming out of your chest. It's like you can't hardly breathe. And you start to get this crazy headache because your heart's beating very fast. And I know this, and I told everyone, I said, don't let the beginning fool you. Yes, you cannot do this for three hours. You, you, you can't. But you're going to have a headache, and your legs are going to become very wobbly, We've done this before. And of course, you know, I'm a much older guy. These are young girls, but it doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't make a difference. So don't start fetching the first 10 minutes that we're climbing the mountain. This is what you should expect, and it's going to be very hard. Anyway, the beginning was not normal hard. I thought I was having a heart attack. I really did. I, I didn't tell anyone anything, but I was like stopping every two minutes to teach them what you, the noise you can make with an acorn, what poison ivy looks like. What poison sumac looks like, they were like amazed. Meanwhile, I was just trying to stay alive. So I was like, every five minutes I was stopping to teach them something else. But Baruch Hashem, we made it. We got up to that part. 
Now, once we got up to that part, the next part was climbing, but it wasn't as hard, and it got easier and easier. Neither then there was there was rock parts. Anyway, to make a long story short, Baruch Hashem, we made it, and we made it to the top, and every single girl made it. The, the three girls that sat in the van, two out of those three girls had the best time of anybody else, <laughs> and they would have ended up missing the whole thing if I would have let them sit in the van, and if I was a nice guy. I would have let them sit and listen, you don't want to go. What, what, what kind of mean Michigan is Rabbi Wallace? You're forcing girls to go up a mountain? What kind of school are you running over? What is it, military school? Yeah. They don't want to go. They want to do their nails. They want to read a book. What are you making them a sugar? Tell them to say, tell them in the van. Well, whatever you want. Why are you pushing them? But I knew, I knew that if I get them to climb this mountain, they will never, ever forget what they did. Because it's, it's not Stama Mountain. It's, it's just beautiful. It's, a, just a, it's amazing. Okay, so... So we all made it up to the top of the mountain. Now at the top of the mountain, there's a rock. Straight rock. I said, any girl that can go up that rock, because there's nothing to hold on to, if you can run up that rock, you win 50 bucks. Knowing that from all the boys of 20 years that I'm taking up there, totally, maybe 10 guys made it up that rock. So I'm like making them an offer I know that they're never going to do. There's no way. No, there's no way they're going to do it. So of course, they're very much into that they're going to do it. To make a long story short, they're running, their knees are getting scratched. It's crazy. It's a very high rock. They're sliding down forward. Nebuch, don't ask. Don't, nails, forget about it. Their hands are cut. Their knees are cut. But these are my girls in Benot Chaya, who the whole world gave up on because they don't have the want and the willpower. And I'm watching these kids trying to climb a flat rock, which I would never try, right? <laughs> I don't care how much money you give me. And they're trying, and they're trying, and they're trying. One after another, they're sliding down. I know they can't make it. They get halfway, they get halfway, they don't stop. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. And one of the girls that was sitting in the van that didn't want to go up the mountain, she keeps trying. And she keeps saying, I will do this, Rabbi Walton. I will do this. And then they began to realize that it's not happening. Walton, don't give 50 bucks so easy. <laughs> And while we're making the Franks, this one skinny little girl, not saying anything to anybody, takes off, running down the path, hits the rock, right, with, at the right point, flies up the rock, and makes it to the top. 50 bucks. 50 bucks. <laughs> all of a sudden, all the other girls said, if she can do it, then it's possible. Maybe I can't do it, but it's possible. Until then, everyone tried, didn't make it. They all sat down. They said, it's over. We can't do it. If she can do it, it's possible. This afternoon's climb cost me $350. Seven out of the 20 girls. And not not only did they make it, half of them only made it half up the rock, and they were sprawled on all four. And no, no, seriously and climbed and clawed and did whatever they could to get to the top of this rock. These are kids that everybody said don't have what it takes. So why am I telling you this? I want to tell you something that I learned today, that I told the girls. I said, when a person has an idea, they want to change, they want to grow. They want to climb. Climbing is growing. Climbing is going from a lower lower area to a higher area. So climbing is growing. When a person decides that they want to grow or someone comes to them and says, listen, listen, you can, you can do this. 
You can do this. Ach, leave me alone. It's too hard. 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 Then, the Yetzirah lets you, okay, you know what, Rabbi Wallerstein, you think I could do this? You gotta go to Eretz Yisrael and learn. You think I could change my life? You think I could get off Facebook? I had to say that. You think, yeah. you think I could stop talking Lashon Hara? You think I could change my sneeze a little bit? You think I could really do this very well? Okay, you know what? I'm gonna try. Okay, well, we're gonna get in the van. We're gonna go to the mountain. What does the Yetzirah do? He makes sure that the beginning of your trip, the beginning of this change is the hardest part. And unless you realize that the hardest part of changing is always the beginning, you say to yourself, if this is so hard, how am I ever going to make it? I can't always be under this pressure. I, this, this is too hard. But if you understand that in the beginning, yes, your heart's going to be beating, your legs are going to be rubber, it's going to be very, very hard to make that change. But if you understand that once you get past that part, the next part's going to be a little bit easier, and the next part's going to be a little bit easier, and the next part's going to be a little bit easier, and guess what happens every single time that I make this trip? Before the trip, boys or girls, it doesn't make a difference. They're all fetching. We can't do this. We can't do this. I tell them I'm 30, I'm twice your age. What do you mean you can't do it, right? They're like, blah, blah, blah. we can't do this. Every single time, it's so hard. And at that first part, they're all like, I'm turning around. I'm sitting down. I'm not going another step, Red Wallstein. My heart, I'm, I have asthma. I found out today, this kid has asthma. This kid has this. All of a sudden, everybody became sick. They all became sick in the middle of the beginning of the part. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm like, get up, because I can't take you back down. Because I don't have anybody to take you back down. You don't want to go back down yourself. It's called Beer Mountains. There are big beers. And there are snakes. And if you want to go alone to deal with that, right? So, okay, we're going to go further. What happens every single trip? At the top of the mountain, they start, I start to listen to what they're saying. And they're like, that wasn't so hard. <laughs> Rabbi Wildstein, can we do this every week? Every kid today said to me, we have to do this every week. But on the way up to the mountain, they're like, I really don't want to do this at all. All of a sudden, it's easy. What do you mean? You were dying on the floor. You were telling me I'm, you're crazy, right? Wildstein, we feel like uh, the soil allows us. If you fall off this rock, we're going to halfway down the mountain. We're going to be little pieces. What's with you, Rabbi? What are you, what? It's so hard. My finger hurts. My back hurts. My foot hurts. But when you got to the ranger station, all of a sudden it's, that was a mountain? Wallstein, that was a mountain? Let's do this every day. It is the same thing. I didn't give this shit last night because I didn't do the mountain last night. It is the same thing in our lives. In front of us, it's a Gemara, by the way. In front of us, it looks like a huge mountain. But every single girl, I'm just giving you an example. Every single girl that went off Facebook, the comment that I got, when they wrote me a letter or an email, they left me a message, was that it was very hard in the beginning, but now I don't understand, I don't even understand what I was doing for seven hours on Facebook. It's like, I got to tell all my friends to get off. I'm like, what are you talking about? You had such a struggle with it in the beginning. And the answer is that once you conquer that Yetzirah, the Yetzirah becomes nothing. But before you conquer the Yetzirah, and that's why the Gemara says that when Mashiach comes, the tzaddikim are going to say that the Yetzirah looked like a mountain. Like a mountain. It's so hard to fight. It's a war. It's a fight. But once you take that step and you're able to do it, also you're going to turn. And that's why 
which I don't agree with, but I was talking to the girls in seminary this week. That's why you'll find people who stop smoking, right? I know a guy that stops smoking, he smoked two packs a day. And they went, they stopped. They're two weeks clean. All of a sudden, they're giving clinics. Every guy they see smoking, get that out of your mouth. Your hands stink, your mouth stinks, your clothes stink. Hello, two weeks ago, you stunk, you were smoking. What happened all of a sudden, right? The guy who stopped smoking, mushers everybody, and I don't understand why you smoke. And the guy that stops talking by davening, right, goes over to people, what's with you? Why would you talk in front of Hashem? You've been talking for 10 years by davening, now you stop? All of a sudden, now that you stop, you're giving everyone mushroom. And the answer is that until you stop, not talking by davening was such a hard thing. But now that you won that war and you stop talking, it looks like nothing. So then if it's nothing, why can't you stop smoking? And when a girl stops talking Russian Hara, right, also she's telling all her friends, why are you talking Russian Hara? And you're like, you're the gossip, you were the gossip monger. You were, you were the person we went to for gossip. But once you capture it, it becomes nothing. It's the beginning of that road. The beginning of the Chuba road that is so hard and so heavy. You know, I, we know, we know that in the physical world is exactly a, a shadow. It is a reflection of the spiritual world. That mountain today that we climb was mamish a reflection of a person's struggles. Mamish, a reflection of a person's struggles. Of going up a mountain, how hard it is in the beginning. But it gets easier. And when you finally make it to the top, you turn around and you look back and you say, that was nothing. I see it in marriage too. I see there are girls that they're going out, they're going out, they're going out. It's a, it's a bunch of years. They're getting very upset. They're getting very depressed. They're very, and they're asking questions on Hashem and this and that. And, and I spend a long time with them. And then they get married, Baruch Hashem, to the right guy, and they're happy, and they're like, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad waiting for him. Like, what are you talking about? You called me 20 times a day to prove to you God because every day it wasn't working. What do you mean it wasn't hard? Nah, it's nothing. If it's the right guy, it was worth it. Sure, when you get the right guy, you got to the top of the mountain, and you look back, eh, that wasn't so bad, right? It wasn't so bad. It wasn't so hard. So if a person understands that when they get to the top of the mountain and they, and they, and they, and, and they struggle and they get to the top, that there's going to be a day that they're going to look back and say, wasn't as bad as everyone makes it. And that's what I learned today. And these girls were absolutely amazing. They helped each other. It, it was, it was, it was just something that, that was totally, totally amazing climbing this mountain. <laughs> Does it look like I can climb a mountain very soon again? No, I don't think so. Anyway, anyway, Baruch Hashem, the, just to see the trees changing colors. Why, Hashem? Why? Why do you do that? Why do you take all these trees and change all the colors? The leaves are dying anyway. They're going to fall on the floor anyway. Because the Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't want the human being to be depressed. Because one of the things that we look at in the summer and in the spring is we look at the flowers and we look at the leaves of the trees. And you know what? In two weeks from now, the leaves that we saw today, there's not going to be any leaves on the trees. The trees are going to be bare. They're going to look dead. The winter is depressing. The winter is dark. So our Kodesh Baruch Hu says to the human being, I'm going to give you a lot of beauty. The leaves have to fall off the trees for whatever reason. Hashem created the world that way. But before they fall off the trees, I'm not going to just make a green leaf fall off the tree. You're going to see red and yellow and different colors of yellow and pink and a million different colors. Why? Because the Kodesh Baruch Hu loves us. Because He loves us. He could have made just a tree, the green, and the leaf falls off. Have a good day. And the answer is no. You, people, you should have seen what's going on the mountain today. I go up there for privacy. There were people lined up with cameras all over the place taking pictures of Akash Baku's beautiful world. Not in the MoMA and Manhattan looking at some artist. 
what an artist does on a sunrise and a sunset. We watch today a sunset in the mountains. We watch the Kurdish Baruch the creator, the artist, the actual artist, not the copier. We watch the sunset. It's, it's, it's amazing. I don't understand how anybody could not believe in a Kurdish Baruch It's, it's very, very hard to understand. I never use my phone. I'm hoping it's still on here. Just give me one second because there's a very terrible thing coming to New York. And I have to warn you. Next month in November. Very, very bad, terrible thing. And, and as you're going to see with my, in tonight's share in the Medrash, we're very close to, no, not election day. We're very, very close. I just want to read you something. We're very close to Mashiach or the destruction of the world. We're Mamish. We're Mamish there. Of course, the Sultan's not going to allow me to connect to this article. But the article is like this. Somebody went ahead, somebody went ahead to donate no, this is not Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so there's a, there's a news flash that that next month in November, the somebody donated. There's a group, an atheist, three atheist groups out there in the world that you know don't believe in Hashem, whatever it is, and they donated a lot of money to do an ad campaign uh, that there is no God in the world. We're lucky enough in New York that it's going to be pasted. They decided that the best place to put this is in the subways of New York. Oh, so, in November, in November, you're going to see all over New York City, maybe on the buses also, huge ads, huge ads not to believe that there is a God in the world. Now, of course, in America, that's legal because there's freedom of expression, freedom of press, which is what we're going to talk about. If it comes on, I'll read it to you. If it doesn't come on, I won't read it to you. But could you imagine where we live in Brooklyn? A girl's going to go on the train to go to New York to go get a job and plastered all over the place. You'll see signs that say, there is no God, there is no one, there is no, there is no creator. It's going to be plastered all over the place. This is where we live. This is where we're comfortable in a place where finally, your mamish see Sadaim, where your mamish see, but they don't believe in Hashem. For what? Why, why, why do you have to put that up? They claim that in the, out of the 8 million people that live in New York, state or city, I'm not sure, city, 1 million are atheists. 1 million people that live that are atheists. Let's see if I can find it. I, maybe not. Maybe yes. We'll see. I'll tell you in a second. It's not normal. It's, it's, it's like they got the gay stuff. They got that already done. So now they're not happy. That's not enough. Now they want to, to wipe out Hashem's name altogether. I don't know if it'll be here. Okay. We'll see if we get to it. But now we'll get to the point of this year. So, listen to what happened in, at the end of Pasha's Veracious. It says the following. Hashem saw that the human being was very bad, was bad in the land. And not only was he bad, but Every product of his thoughts, of his heart, was evil. Rak, ra, kohayayim. All he thought about all day was to make inventions. No, of course it's not here. Okay. <laughs> to make inventions of doing bad. And Hashem felt bad, had regret. We'll explain what that means. That he created the human being. So what is this Pusik saying here? This is a Pusik that people read. They don't, they don't hop what it's saying over here. First Hashem says, Hashem, Hashem saw that people were doing bad. People were always doing bad. That's not a reason to destroy the world. Hashem created the Yetzirah. So we do bad. 
we fall, we get up, we fall, we get up, we do mad. That's not a reason. You created the Yitzhahara Hashem. What do you want from us, right? Don't destroy the world. But the Pasik says something else. The Pasik says, that the Yitzhah of his heart, what he's creating, what the human being is looking to create, his Yitzhah, what he's doing all day, rock, rock, kol hayom. A whole day, he's busy creating bad. It's one thing if the bad comes to you. The bad comes to you, so that's an Isoyan from Hashem. Hashem is testing you. I told my boys last night, I said, why don't I have email? Why don't I have a computer? You come into my office, no computer. Man's running a company. You run a company without a computer. I don't even have a laptop. I don't even know what that means. I wouldn't even know how to turn it on. Right? Oh, he's prehistoric. You know, he's prehistoric. He doesn't know how to use a computer. Not at all. Not at all what happened. What happened? 12 years ago, 13 years ago, we got computers in my office. I was very excited. I want to be part of the, the new modern technology. Got my computer with the brain. Call that a brain, whatever. Right, with the brain, with the hard drive, with the soft drive, with the flippy, with the flexi, with that. The main thing I got, my mother was always trying to get rid of them. And Baruch Hashem, I got a mouse. Right? You give me a mouse, you plug it in, you got a mouse, it's fantastic. Right, you move that around, you can change the whole world. The mouse. Why do they call it a mouse? Yeah, we'll talk about that. That's not for this year. <laughs> now, funny thing to call, right? Anyway, it looks like a mouse, that's why. Anyway, so I was very excited. I was in my office, 7.30 at night. I'm sitting in my office. I have a business. And we opened my computer. I think it was the first time, pretty much. And there's a bunch of emails. Emails. Exciting. For me, who grew up in the Ice Age, right? We didn't have, you know that I couldn't in school, we didn't have a calculator, hello? We didn't have calculators. I was excited when I was 22 years old that they came out with a watch, right, that was digital with buttons, right? Casio. Now you guys would never even look at such a thing, right? But that was, it was amazing, right? We didn't have calculators in school. No, we only had that metal thing and our little compass thing. That's it, that's all we have. We made enough trouble with that, but it was, so, so I was very excited. Emails. So I'm going down my emails, you know, this store, that store, coupons, this, that. All of a sudden, urgent message. Very important. I'm like, whoa. This must be for my business, whatever it is. You know, you get the mouse. You know, I couldn't get it exactly on the screen. It was off the screen. The mouse here, the mouse, they finally get it. I click it, right? It opens up. As they say in Yiddish, Finstein Eugen. Opens up. A not sneezestick woman, and I'm, I'm saying it extremely mild, right? I'm like, what's she doing on my screen? I don't know this person. I didn't invite this person into my office. What's she doing on my screen? Who's sending me the right? right? She's on my screen. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, whoa. I don't want this, right? So, thought for a second. I said, like, get rid of the whole thing. You can control yourself. Why do I need a net, which they call the internet, which is going to capture me? One night, I'm going to open up another one that I'm going to think is business, and then I'm going to open another one. And why do I need to see this with my eyes? I don't want to see this. If I want to see this, then I'll go look for it. But if I don't go look for it, I don't want it to come to my, into my room without, without my research, whatever it is. I got up, and anyone who works for me will tell you this. I got up. 
I took the hard drive with the soft drive with the floppy with the mouse with the whole thing. In those days they had the screens like this big, you know, with the whole bottom back. I took it, I put it on the couch outside my room, I said, I don't want this piece of filth ever in my office again. I've never had a computer since then. Why? Why? Because Hashem wants to test me, it's one thing, but I don't want to, I don't want to test myself. I don't want to bring this thing into myself. So what happened here in the end of Pasha's Beratius, the reason Hashem destroyed the world was not because Hashem sent a test to them and they failed it. It's because they had a Yetzirah. All they did all day was think in the entertainment field how to corrupt you. How do we corrupt people? How do we bring filth into their house, into their phone, into their life? The, the, the world that we live in today trying to figure out ways to create, to make you do a sin. Hashem said, that is not why I created the world. I did not create the world that a human being should be the Sahara. I created the world that the Malach, that I made the Sahara should be the Sahara. But I didn't create humans to become the Sahara. You became the Sahara. You sit all day trying to figure out how to find filth and immorality and do all these things. I don't want the human being anymore. There's no reason for a human being to be in this world. I didn't create you that you should create Yitzharas today. And that's why I talk about Facebook a lot. Right? And the different things. And the different things. These are things we created. If you go on Facebook or you open your computer and you go to these sites you're not supposed to, you can't come to Hashem and say, listen, you put me in a generation of tests. Hashem said, you went there. I didn't take you there. You went there. That's not my test. I didn't bring it to you. You went there. You went looking for it. You went looking for immorality. things. You're listening to non-Jewish rap music. You went there to get that stuff into your blood to make you totally meshuggah and wild and, and an animal. Just listening to their lyrics. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make that Yetzirah. That's a human Yetzirah. That a bunch of people got together and said, rock and roll, rock and roll. It doesn't make a person bad enough. The Beatles didn't destroy the world enough. No, we're going to get a bunch of guys who are, going to, who are going to rhyme. Right? I'm going to kill your mother and then your brother. <laughs> and then maybe some another. <laughs> and all the girls are walking around with their iPods. Oh, 50 Cent and this guy and that guy. Oh, listen to this. What? Who created this? Hashem created this Yetzirah? You want to point to God and say, you created this? This is, this is a bunch of humans sitting in a room together and saying, how do we corrupt our children? How do we corrupt the youth? How do we make them sugar? How do we sell them drugs? How do we sell them the fashions, right? How do we sell them the fashions of Madison Avenue? How do we take the... You sit all day and you're creating the Yetzirahs? I don't want this world. This is not my Sahara. This is you creating the Sahara. When you go to a site to look at something that you're not supposed to, you created that Yetzirah. So, so what does Hashem need you here for? He needs you here to create Yetzirah and then to take other girls down with you? Not only did you create the Yetzirah, but now you're telling them, you've got to check out this site. Oh my goodness. So not only you created your Yetzirah, but you're taking that Yetzirah to other people? So Hashem wants you in this world? He wants you to be the Yetzirah? He said, if I wanted you to be Yetzirah, I would have made you a Malach. You're not a Malach. This is what happened in this Pasuk. Rock, rock, kol hayom. Entertainment, how to figure out. When I grew up, there were 11 channels, black and white. The worst. You hear? 
the worst thing that Rabbi Wallstein could watch on television was the Little Rascals. <laughs> because the little, la- the little Rascals, I'm not talking about the cartoon, the show was considered a little rebellious. You hear? A little rat. Li- no, the Three Stooges smacking each other in the face. That was fine because in my day that was fine. You could smack someone in the face. But now today... Listen to this. Listen to this. This is godless of the Yitzhahara of, of entertainment of Hollywood, which is a place that this is what it's talking about, where, where they sit in a boardroom and like, how are we going to bring filth to a Disney movie? How are we going to put filth in the Disney movie? You know, that the kids are going to watch the lions rolling around together, female and male, and that subconsciously, right, subconsciously to them, that's a female and a male. Even though when they're four years old, it's animals, but when they grow older, it's a female and a male, and it's no more animals, it's human beings. So subconsciously, we're going to take Disney movies, The Little Mermaid, all the movies that you watch, there's always a love story. What do you need a love story? Make a story about a lion. What do you need a love story? But every story is a love story. Beauty and the Beast, all this stuff. It's all a love story. Why? Because we, they, what they do, they're very smart. You're going to bring a female and a male rolling together on, 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 in, in the grass, in the forest? You'd ever bring that into your house? That's, that's pornography. You crazy? But they went ahead and they made the, the Lion King and they made it into animals. So these brilliant geniuses were able to bring these thoughts of a boy and a girl rolling in the grass together, but they brought it to you as a lioness and a lion. And every single Disney movie that you will watch, you will see that if those animals were humans, you would never allow your children to watch such a thing. So what did the Pusik say here? This is not something new. He worked in his heart and his machshava. How am I going to make How am I going to make it worse? How am I going to make it worse? How am I going to make it worse? How am I going to make Rabbi Wallerstein? Doesn't have a, he doesn't have a computer. How are we going to get him to see things he shouldn't? He has a cell phone. And the cell phone has a computer. So we're going to create a cell phone that even if you're not in your office, eh, you're going to have a cell phone and that, or a raspberry and a blackberry and a blueberry, whatever you have. And on that, that poor kid who his mother, mother thinks, oh, I'm controlling what she sees and what she doesn't see. Yeah, mother, we all think we control our kids. Our kids are so far ahead of us in technology. You can't control, you can't block nothing. They can get around kosher net and internet and this net and safe net. Kids can blow away everything. Oh, but I have a password. Very nice. So they go to their friends' uh, friends' room, they use their friends' password. Because we're, we're, old, we're from the old times, we don't know the shtick. Right? We can't stop them. So now your kid's sitting in there, you're, my house, Rabbi? No computer. I'm like, does your daughter have a cell phone? Yeah. You know that she can get internet on the cell phone? What? What are you talking about? Sure, she sits every night in her bed. She goes onto the internet. And she watches whatever she wants. She doesn't, need, she doesn't need a computer. What? What are you talking about? I'm like, before you get her a cell phone, maybe you should know what she can do on that cell phone, what she can't do on that cell phone. They have come up wherever a parent tried to block or a Rebbe or we try to block something. They've come up a way around it. That's what they did in times of the marble. They sat there and they figured out how to take down the world. So what does Hashem say in the next passage? Vayinachem Hashem and Hashem reconsidered ki asa esa adam ba'ores that He created man on this world whatever that means because Baruch was saying in the Torah that He had heartfelt sadness. Hashem was sad. He created a human being to do good. He created a human being to be in a struggle with the Sahara, and Hashem saw He created a million Yetzirahs. All the human beings became Yetzirahs. They became better than the Yetzirahs. 
I don't even know if the Yetzirah could have created the internet. We created the internet. I don't even know if he's that smart. We created the internet. We created all this filth. So when a person brings the, the Avera to themselves, when they make the phone call, or they open up the site, that's not something you can come to Hashem and say, it's your fault. You are the one who, brought the, who created the Yetzirah, who brought it to you. There's no answer for that. That's not Hashem's Nisayan. That's something you did on your own. That's it, the world is over. I'm going to destroy every human. I'm going to destroy every animal. I'm going to destroy everything that crawls. I'm going to destroy the birds. Because I have reconsidered that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Hashem. The, the, the first or second Rashi in Pasha's Noach says something that's very hard to understand. Noach begins with Noach ish tzaddik tamim He was a tzaddik, he was perfect in his generation. Says Rashi. Machoikas. One way you can look at it is he's amazing. He was in such a terrible generation and even in that gen- generation he didn't assimilate. Wow, what a compliment. But then Rashi says that one rabbi says, no, it's not a compliment, it's a criticism. That if Noach lived in Avraham Avinu's time, he would have been a nobody. How do we understand that? Why would Rashi say something like that? We're sitting here learning the Chumash. Noach was a tzaddik. Noach was perfect. Why do you got to come and start telling me but if he lived in Abraham's time, he'd be a nobody. It's sort of like I walk into, you know, I walk into class and I, and, and, and I have this kid that's amazing. He's a hundred students. He's amazing. And my whole class is doing great. And the principal walks in. I'm like, principal, I got to tell you about my class. My class in front of the whole class, right? My class, they are brilliant. They are shamefulers. They are great kids. Yeah, Rabbi Wallstein. True. Compared to the rest of the miserable kids in the school. But. If they would have been in this school five years ago, when the school had great kids, they'd be nobody. Rabbi, what are you doing? No, no, I'm giving you an example. Right. <laughs> right. Rabbi, what are you doing? Just why don't you leave the compliment? I made a compliment. Why do you have to destroy the compliment? Why is Rashi doing this? Noach was an Isadic. Leave it alone. He's a tzaddik. Finish. If he would have lived in a... And, and, and what if he lived in Yitzchak's time? And Yaakov's time? Oh, Moshe was a tzaddik? What if Moshe would have lived in Avram's time? When, since when do we make comparisons? You know, you're a great cook. Thank you very much. Supper was delicious. But compared to Julia Child, you're a nobody. Yeah. That's what you're going to say? You're going to say, you're a great cook. What are you adding that on for? And the answer is... Very, very interesting answer. The answer is as follows. The answer is as follows. Noah wasn't Jewish. Noach wasn't Jewish. We call the non-Jews, right? B'nai Noach. Noites. B'nai Noach. So he was not Jewish. Abraham Avinu was Jewish. What's the difference? Noach was the father of the human being. B'nai Noach. Abraham was the father and of Yisrael. What's the difference? The difference is like this, which is a very important thing to know. The difference is between a Jew and a non-Jew. The difference between a Jew and a non-Jew, the main difference is that a Jew believes that there is a hashkacha pratis. That God is here and knows every... When you brush your hair, he knows you brushed your hair. 
When one hair falls out of your head, he knows one hair falls. Because one hair can't fall out of your head unless Hashem wants it to fall out of your head. So we believe that there's a Hashgacha process, that everything that we do, Hashem is watching. The Goyim don't believe that. The Goyim believe that God created the world. He is such a supreme being that he went on to create other things, to do other things. He didn't sit here and, and bother with, you go to the bathroom, that, that everything works, and that you make a living, and panasa, and everything that we daven for. They don't believe that. They believe he got, he, he's too busy. So the Christian religion believes that he sent his son down to this world, right? And he's running, he's taking care of the world. The Muslims believe that Muhammad is taking care of the world. The Buddhists believe that uh, God is too busy, so he puts spirits and energy and Buddha is taking care of the energy in this world. But they all believe that there's no, they don't believe in Ashkach practice. They don't believe that Hashem is busy, that supreme being is busy with this silly little person. Nah, can't be, blasphemy. Can't be, they don't believe that. We believe, because Baruch cares about every single person individually. Now, what is, what's the difference? The difference is like this. Very, very, very fascinating. This is, uh, this is from, from, uh, Rav Shimshim Pincus. The difference is like this. And Taka, that's what happened. Abraham Avinu was Makarev people with love. He said, come to my house. I'll give you something to eat. Do you know who created this apple I'm giving you? Look how many colors it has. Do you know there's a creator? Let's make a bracha together. That's how he got you. Noah, he didn't do Kirov that way. He sat outside his table and he said, if you don't do tshuva, if you don't do tshuva, you're going to drown. And your family's going to drown. And the world is going to drown. And what happened in the end? The world drowned. And therefore Hashem had a tie on Noah that even though he was a tzaddik, you're not a tzaddik if you don't help the other person up the mountain. If you don't help the other person up the mountain, you're not a perfect tzaddik. And therefore, since his whole generation, he lived, but everyone else around him died, Hashem said, you're not a perfect tzaddik. You're not a perfect tzaddik. And that's why Rashi says that if Noah, Avram was a perfect tzaddik, and if Avram saved his whole generation, Noah saved himself and his family, but he didn't save his whole generation. And therefore, even though he was a tzaddik, but he was a tzaddik for himself, it wasn't a tzaddik for everybody else. Why did Hashem destroy the world, says Rashi? Rashi says, Mishum Gezel, because they were stealing, which is very hard to understand. There are three cardinal sins, adultery, murder, and avodah serving idols. Stealing is not one of the three averis that you have to give your life up for. So, they were all doing shvichas dam, and they were murdering each other, as it says. They were totally immoral. Adultery was all over the place. They served crazy avodah We see that, that all, the way, all the way to Avraham Avinu. Hashem, Rashi says, decided he's destroying the world because they stole. And Rashi says, what did they steal? Less than a penny. What would they do? They'd come to a fruit store, and they would say, how much are these grapes? The guy would say, how much? So they would take one grape. Now, one grape is not worth a penny. And the luck is, if it's not worth a penny, you can't pay the guy back, right? Because what is it worth? It's not worth anything. So, a hundred guys would get online. Each guy would take one grape until there were no grapes left. They didn't only steal, but they stole with chachma. Rak, rak, kolayom. They figured out ways to do bad things, but they weren't really bad. I, what do you want from me? I didn't, I didn't do it. I stole a little, teeny little bit. And when Hashem saw that they were stealing like that, Hashem said... 
There's not going to be any tshuva. Yonah, right? We learned Yonah on Yom Kippur. Why did he go to Nineveh? He said he knew that Nineveh was going to be saved. And he said, if Nineveh is going to be saved, I don't want to go because the Jews aren't doing tshuva and they're going to do tshuva and Nineveh is going to be saved. If you look at, at Yonah, you'll see why. It says that they were doing bad all the time. They knew that they were doing bad. If a person is doing bad, if you go onto Facebook, right? And Watson gives all these sherman and everything, he's like, I'm doing bad. I'm going onto Facebook. I don't care what he said. I don't care. I mean, it's hard. I like to talk to my friends and I'm going to look at this and I'm going to look at that. I know I shouldn't. But I'm doing bad. You'll do tshuva one day. Nobody wants to do bad. But if you walk around and say, there's nothing wrong with this. This is good. So Hashem's not going to wait for you to do tshuva because you're never going to do tshuva. Nobody does tshuva from something they're doing right. So when Hashem saw that, that when they were killing people, they knew that it was bad. But when they started stealing and saying, I didn't do anything wrong because it's not worth a pruta, Hashem said, this world, that's called Hamas. He says, this world has to be destroyed because now people are walking around and they're doing things that are wrong and it became legal. If it becomes legal then it's not bad. In America, if a bunch of judges in the Supreme Court sit together and say that, that, that being gay is legal, you can't get up and say it's bad. Just the opposite. If I were to get up right now on the steps of the White House and give a speech that it's Tayavas Hashem, the Torah says that homosexuality is an abomination of God, destruction of the world. I will be written in all the presses across the United States as the most evil, bad, caveman rabbi that was ever created. Because getting up against these Averis today, the good people became bad, the bad people became good. They're going to go now and, and, and put over all the subways because freedom of the press is correct. So you can't even say anything and get up and say, we don't want this to happen because it's freedom of the press. So this world is now turning into a place where the bad is becoming good. And once that happens, nobody does tshuva. Why did they come out of the closet, as they say? They come out of the closet and they march and they're out in the open because... Because it's not, you're in the closet. If you know you're doing something bad, you hide yourself from the closet. But if you're doing something good, so you can march. You can march on Washington. You can march anywhere because we're doing something good. So what happened then is mamish happening now. There's only two things that were ever destroyed this way. The world was destroyed this way, and Saddam was destroyed this way. Let me tell you a little bit about Saddam, uh, and, and then I'll tell you a little short story, give you a little chizik. And I'll let you go. We'll talk a lot more. My, my story with the mountain took over my shit tonight. So I'm going to tell you a short story to give you a little chizik. But I got to tell you this about Saddam. So that you understand, because all of us, the Averas that you do, girls, that you know are wrong, no problem. You're all going to do tshuva. We all have consciences. But the stuff that you're translating in your head and you're making the things you're doing wrong right, that there's nothing wrong with them, you're never going to do tshuva on it. That's right. Why should I do tshuva? So you need to learn halacha. And Mitzvah Hashem, I hope to start learning halacha, that you understand what is wrong and what is right. I know someone that was Machal Shabbos two weeks ago. A woman, she was Mamash Machal Shabbos. I went over to her, I said, what did you just do? That's, that's Chol Shabbos. She went, what are you talking about? I said, that's Chol Shabbos what you just did. What are you talking about? I went, I got the book. She said, I didn't know. I didn't know. If you don't know, you're going to do a lot of things wrong that you think are right. So how do you know? You have to read, you have to learn. To take a kitzah shachanach, my Rebbe Rabbi Gamliel said I should get up and all, tell all the girls. I started doing it since Yom Kippur. 
They have these little kits of shulchan aruch. I'm doing really good business for, for Eichler. But they have this little shulchan aruch. It's, it's, it's in three editions. It's about this big. Kits of shulchan aruch, Hebrew, English. Every morning, learn one halacha. One, one halacha, two halachas. You're going to see things about the bathroom, getting out of your bed, stuff you never dreamed of. That you never saw it with the mitzvah. Not. How do you, because you never looked at it, you never learned it. So you have to know what's right. Let me tell you why Hashem destroyed Saddam, and then you'll go into your own life and figure out what your Saddam is. We all have, including Rabbi Wallerstein. We all have our little Saddam where we think we're doing such good things. Yeah, we're talking Russian hard about this girl because I'm saving all the other girls. Yeah. How do you know halakhically that's correct? You learned all the hilkas of Russian horror before you did that? Before you embarrassed her because I had to save the rest of the class? Did you learn all the halakhas? Maybe you did something that's very wrong. So let me tell you about Saddam. Abraham Avinu was called Ivri. He was on one side. Saddam was on the other side. Now Saddam was like Germany. Germany, everybody, before Hitler destroyed six million Jews, it was the... Epic, the top, the best of culture, of education, of politics. Germany was the height of education. It was the height. The universities was where everybody went. They were the top of the world. And actually, Yemach Shemoy, Hitler, Yemach Shemoy, Vizichrai, understood that if he's going to get up and tell the German people that we're going to exterminate, we're going to murder six million Jews, a million children, the German people were not evil. They weren't, they didn't come home at night, a Gestapo agent, and tell his wife, do you know what I did today? In cold blood, I murdered a bunch of Jewish children. I'm a murderer, I'm a killer, but I can't control myself. That's not how he came home. He came home and said, thank God, you know what I did today? I got rid of a thousand cockroaches. Because these cockroaches called Jews, if we would leave them in the world, the whole world would be destroyed. So what Hitler, Yemach Shemot, got the Germans to think was not that they were doing a bad thing, exterminating the ghouls. They were creating the Aryan nation. They were creating the nation that's going to run the world perfectly. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be a perfect world. He didn't get up and say, I need a bunch of murderers. Let's go kill a bunch of Jews. They would have never done it. But he made them think that when they killed a Jew, they were saving the world. And it's happened for the longest, longest, longest time. They thought when they burnt Jews in the Inquisition, the people that took these Jews and threw them into the fire thought they were bringing their Messiah. That's the way to bring their Messiah. And the missionaries in the world, I've dealt with them, they are taught that after the missionaries bring a million Jews back to their religion, back to their Savior, the Messiah will come. It's all about us. So when they go to do missionary or when they... When the Arabs, when the Muslims blow up a bunch of Jews, they don't go and say, I'm a murderer, I'm a killer, I'm a bad guy. Just the opposite. I'm a murderer, I'm, I'm not a murderer, I'm a killer. I am going straight to Gan Eden. I'm doing the biggest mitzvah in the world by blowing up a bunch of Jews. That's the danger in a person's life. When you start to do things wrong, and you believe they're right, and Hashem says, at that point, there's no reason to leave you here. Because Hashem leaves us here in this world so that we're going to do tshuva one day. But if you think what you're doing is right, you're never going to do tshuva. So let me tell you a little bit about Sodom for a minute. It's amazing. So Lot ran to Sodom. Now Lot was brought up by Abraham Avinu. If Sodom had a name as a bunch of murderous killers, not civilized savages, Lot would have never gone there. They had a name like Germany as the most educated, sophisticated, cultured, rich people in the whole world. So Lot said, oh, I want to be part of that. What do you mean? We all know the Medrash, that if you were tall 
and you came to town, they cut off your legs. If you were short, they stretched you till all your bones came out, including your head, and you died. They took a girl who helped a poor man. They took her clothing off. They smeared her, smeared her with honey and put her under a bee's nest till all the bees bit her to death. They were the meanest, savagest people in the whole world. Why would Lot, Abram's nephew, go to such a place? Because that wasn't the name they had. Listen to their mindset. Their mindset was as follows. Which really, I'm scared to put it out there because we could start a new religion. Because it makes sense. Their mindset was as follows. If a person is poor, they got together. Their first town meeting. And they said the following. If a person is poor and he has no money, that means that God wanted him to be poor. So any person that gives him charity is messing with God. And that, messing with God, we're religious people. We don't mess with God. If you mess with God, you interfere with God. He created him poor. Now you want to give him money? You're messing with God? It's punishable by death. Law number one, anybody who gives charity, punishable by death. Makes sense. What are you messing with Hashem? Hashem wanted to be rich. He'll be rich. Hashem wanted to be poor. He's poor. They had a Muna. Law number two. Somebody is sick. That means God wanted him to be sick. Any person who tries to heal that person, you're messing with God. Death. No doctors in Sodom. We kill doctors. No medicines. If Hashem wants you to get better, you'll get better. I should interfere and give you medicine? No way. So no doctors, no medicine, no charity. Now, some person is homeless and they come to Sodom looking for a home. Any person that takes them into their home, you are going anti-God because God, if God wants them homeless, you have to leave them homeless. Therefore, if we catch anyone taking a person to their home, punishable by death. You hear? They wrote laws so they have to give no charity, no doctors, no medicine. You don't have to take anybody in in the name of God. So Hashem told Avraham Avinu, I can't allow this country to exist. That's not Ninveh where, where, where Yonah came, they're going to do tshuva. These are people who believe, this is America, that believes that you can put all over the subways where I'm a Jew. Why do you have a right to put on the wall that God doesn't exist? You should see the signs. I wish I could have read it to you. It, it's going to scare you. No! Freedom of the press can do anything. So we live in a country that's mamish making laws like these people. So Avraham Avinu looked stupid. Avraham Avinu looked like, and this is what they were claiming, Avraham Avinu was the biggest apikoiris, the biggest anti-God human being in the whole world. People who are poor, he interferes, he gives them money. People who are sick, he had an amulet that he used to wear, and he used to heal everybody. He would heal them. People who didn't have children. Isn't that what God wanted? That's why they don't have children. How dare you use your amulet to help a person become pregnant? So, Avraham Avinu was in Ivri. He was all alone. And everyone he pointed him said, You are the antithesis of God. You have to be destroyed. We should die. We're the correct ones. You know why we cut people's legs off? I'll tell you why we cut people's legs off. Because if a guy comes to town and he's collecting charity... That means that he doesn't accept what God gave him, that he's poor. You don't accept what you gave, what God gave you, then I guess you also don't accept that you're so tall. That God made you so tall. So guess what? We're going to cut your feet off. I guess if you don't accept what God gave you, you're not happy that you're short. 
So we're going to stretch you out until you die. And the young girl who helped, who helped this person, you hear what Saddam said, it's a Nehudika Medrash, who helped that, she, the reason they killed her was because she helped somebody, she gave him food. They said, you think that sweetness, that helping somebody else, that sweetness brings life? Sweetness brings death, we'll teach you. We're going to smear you with honey. Let's see what sweetness brings you. It brings you a thousand bee bites. It brings you death. This was Sadaim's psychology. And if you really break down and you look, and you look into it, it makes sense. You can really, you can really live in Sodom. Lord said, this makes sense. You can really live in Sodom. Why are you interfering with God? So Abraham Avinu got up and Abraham Avinu said, you idiots. Hashem created a poor person so that you can help him. Hashem created a person who's sick so you can help them. Because Olam Chesed Yibaneh, God only created this world that you should interfere. That you should do Chesed. Just the opposite. That was Avram Avinu. And Noach didn't save the world. So I want to end. It's very, very, very important. There's a very Beautiful, 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 beautiful Misa from Rav Nachman. Short little Misa, which is very, 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 very positive. And I know it's very late. I always know it's very late, but we started very late. So I just want to tell you, I, I said it years ago, but it's very important, especially for women who are married and have husbands at home and girls who are going to get married. When, 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 when Noah came out of the table, so he made a sacrifice to Hashem, the next thing it says is, Vayochel Noach Ish Adama. And Noah was a man of the dirt. The first part says, Noah was Ishalokim. What happened that made him the man of the dirt? So he says the following. He came out of the table, he had a branch or seed from a grape from Ganeden. And the power of Ganeden is that when you put the seed into the ground, it grows right away, the grape. Not only that, but it becomes wine. We know in Ghanaian, if you took a chita, it said, if you took a, a piece of wheat and you put it in the ground, a loaf of bread grew. In other words, the chita would grow, and then it would become a loaf of bread. You didn't have to do anything. So he went ahead. He, the first thing he did when he came out, he was in pain. He was in pain. He watched. I mean, Lamai said, that's why Hashem made him have a window. Why was there a window in the teva? Hashem said, you're not, you didn't save the world. You're going to suffer. And you're going to watch the destruction of the world. So Hashem said, there's going to be a window. You're going to watch the world die. And he came out of this table in a lot of pain. Watch the whole world die. It's not an easy thing. He didn't save the world. It's a, it's a pretty heavy thing on your shoulders. So he was like a little bit depressed. He was in a depression. What do you do when you're in a depression? You get yourself a good bottle of wine. So he went ahead. And the first thing he came out was he planted a kerem. Listen to what happened at the kerem. When Noach planted his vineyard, the Satan showed up. And he stood in front of him. And this I told you from two weeks ago, or last week or two weeks ago. What did the Satan say to him? Hey, can I have some wine? No. The first thing he wants to get you into, girls, the Satan is a discussion. And you guys like to talk, and we like, everyone likes to talk. So he comes over to Noah and he says, What are you planting? What are you talking about? You're the Satan. You're a Malach. You know what a grapevine looks like. 
But he asked the question to bring you into the discussion. And once you're in the discussion, it starts a relationship. And once there's a relationship, you know what happened to Adam and with Chava and the snake. Well, guess what happened over here? Since Noah decided to talk to the snake, in the end, they became partners, full-fledged partners in that vineyard. You think you're going to talk to some guy and tell him about Judaism or whatever the discussion you're having about, you know, some even a married guy or whatever it is, you're getting into discussions. It's all the Yitzhahari, just like, so, what's going on? You know? Why this? Why that? You're like, you know why this? What? No, you explain it to me. So it's a very funny thing that he asked him. But Noach fell in. He said, Karen! What do you mean? I'm planting a vineyard. Amaloi mativoy. The Sultan said to him, what's the use of grapes? What do you do with grapes? Himamish played innocent. Like, oh, grapes? What do you do with grapes? Amaloi. So Noach answered him. Instead of saying, come on, you're a malach, man. What are you talking about? You know what this is all about. No, we like to be, you know, to help. We like to talk. We like to give directions. Amaloi, peresa masukim. Grapes, they're sweet. Bein lachim, whether they're wet. Bein yveshim, even raisins are good. V'oisim mehem, now here was the biggest mistake that Noach made. V'oisim mehem yayin, hamasameach levavois. He told the Sata, and you know what you do with wine? Wine is great. You know why wine is great? Because wine makes you happy. Wine doesn't make you happy. Wine never made anybody happy. People who finish drinking wine, they get drunk. When they wake up, they have a headache. They're very not happy. But he told the Satan, wine makes you happy. Oh, I'm a like Satan. Happy? Fun? That's my business. I know more about happy fun than you do. If that's what wine's all about, we need to be partners. Let's be partners in this vineyard. Amaloi, this is, look at this medrash. So what did, what did Nayak tell? This is how far you can fall. I wish I had more time. Look how far you can fall. He's dealing with the Sutton here, right? Look how far you can fall from just a discussion. The Sutton just told Noah, after the whole destruction of the world, I want to be your partner. Would you take the Sutton as a partner in any business? What did he answer him? Amaloi, this is where it comes from everybody. Amaloi, the Sutton answered it. The, the, Noach answered him, right? The Sultan said, Bomb the Shatter Standard becomes a, let's be partners. I'm a lawyer. Noach said to the Sultan, Lechayim. Lechayim, cheers. That's where it comes from. First Lechayim in the Torah. Noach and the Sultan made a Lechayim. Yeah, it can start with nothing in the end. You girls, ladies, women, you can be standing at the end of the test making a Lechayim with the Sultan. This is a crazy medrash. Yeah, I've seen many of those l'chaims, girls. I've seen many of those l'chaims with the satan. Yeah, you can start off just talking. Just talking. And in the end, you're making... I don't want to use the expression that's used in English. But you're making a l'chaim with the satan. All right, now what did the satan put into the vineyard? Hey, you can't be my partner just by showing up. Now the satan said, now let me take care of the rest. Ma'asa satan. Hevi kevesh, he brought a lamb. Haragai, he killed it. And he let the blood of the lamb flow into the ground below the vines. Okay? When the blood was finished, he brought a lion. Ari, he brought a lion. He killed it. And he let the blood of the lion go into the vineyard. After that, the sultan brought a pig. And he killed it. And he let the blood of the pig go into the, into the ground of the vine. After that, he brought a monkey. And he killed the monkey. And he let the blood go into the the kerem into the vines. What's he doing over here? 
Listen to what the Medrash says. This is what wine is all about, alcohol, drugs, all this stuff that the Satan, since Adam, since Noah said, it's all about happiness. This is what he put into the first glass of wine. The Satan, listen carefully. He did the following. He said like this. The first glass of wine you drink, you become a kevesh. You become mellow. Hey, everything is nice. Love, peace, everybody. Don't get excited. It's just a little buzz. Drink a little wine, just a little buzz. Everything's good. People are making funny faces at you like, nice face, that's cool, nothing's going to bother me. Mellow, yellow, jello, I'm good. Right? Because something went ahead and he took this beautiful little lamb and you become a chef salah. Really, the meanest people, they drink a little bit, either they get meaner, right? Or they become a chef salah. Fine. So that's what the Sultan said. First drink, you're a chef salah. Now, he goes on. And he says, second drink, now you're getting a little bit stewed, right? Hayagibakari! I've seen this many times. There are boys that are introverts that I know. They mamish can't look you in the eye. They can't look you in the eye. They're like, they walk around. They have no self-respect, no self-esteem. They can't look anybody in the eye. I always talk to them. Come on. You're not, you're not so bad. You can do it. No. All of a sudden, you see them high on pot or on drugs or drinking, right? All of a sudden, it's like, come on. We're going to mess with me. Come on. Don't look at me the wrong way. We're going to knock you out. I'm like, Chaim, Chaim. What, Rebbe? Something wrong? Come on, Rebbe, say something. I'm like, Chaim, what happened to you? you, you you're a meek little guy. You never say anything. <laughs> Second drink, the blood, of the, the blood of the lion is in the grape. Second drink. Tough, I can handle anything. Yeah, people drink. They, they can't handle stuff. And after they drink, they think they can handle... I can, I can capture the world. I can take over the world. I'm really much better than you think I am. All of a sudden, they become a big lion with a big roar. Right? Second drink. Third drink... I would like to read this from the Medrash. So no one should think that it's coming from me. Now he drank too much. Becomes like a pig. He becomes full of his own waste. The guy can't hold his waste in anymore because he's so drunk. Or the girl, whatever. And Nebuch, their clothing is all soiled with human waste. Why? Because the Sata knew... He wants to break us down. He wants to take us from a human being and break us down. Now in the third drink, fourth drink, you're already not a human being. You're already a chazer. Not enough. And there's a one guy in my, one guy in my share, he drinks a lot. He says, Rebbe, you, I couldn't have described this better than, than the Medrash describes. It's mamish what happens to a person. He says, now when you really mamish blitzed out of your brains, you drank so much, you become like a monkey. I made you get up, Umarachek, you start to dance. Umasachek, you start to make jokes. Umaitzi, listen to this, it's unbelievable. Umaitzi, listen to this, you start to curse. People who never said a dirty word out of their mouth, they're totally drunk, they start cursing like a drunken sailor. There's a reason the saying is, like a drunken sailor. Because a drunken sailor curses. So the, the Satan said, you want fun, man? You want simcha? You want fun? I'll give you fun. I'll become a partner in your fun. And a human being can in the end turn into soiling his own clothing and standing on a table and jumping up and down like a monkey. This is what can happen to a person. And this was Noah's mistake. Noah's mistake was, and I think there's a lot of our mistakes, Noah thought that happiness 
comes from without and then comes in. I can be miserable, but if I find something in the entertainment world, a good movie, or I find a good drink, or I find something from the outside, that's going to make me happy. And that's what drug addicts, they start off with marijuana, and they take it in, and they think marijuana is going to make me happy, and then they realize marijuana doesn't make me happy. But somebody has pills, and pills will make me happy for sure, so they start taking pills. And then all of a sudden, pills don't make them happy. And they say, well, then cocaine, I heard that makes you happy. And then they're on cocaine, and then cocaine doesn't make them happy, because they think that you can bring things from the inside into your body that's going to make you happy. If you're not happy inside, then all the stuff you bring in from the outside is just going to magnify the unhappiness that you have inside. Mm-hmm. And in the end, Shalom, which is what I'm dealing with right now, with a girl and a boy, you become a heroin addict. And once you become a heroin addict, the fight is almost impossible. It's the hardest fight of all. And the Satan is miraculous. And he, sa- he sits there, I'm your partner, not the dealer. You want it fun? You want fun? I'll get you marijuana. I'll get you whiskey. I'll get you all this fun. You want fun? You want to go to the internet? You want to have fun? I'll give you fun. But in the end, you're just going to be a drunken monkey. That's what's going to happen. You're never going to find happiness from without. Happiness comes from within. So now you'll say to me, Rawalstein, so why do we make Kiddush Shabbos with wine? And why does a girl get married under the chuppah with wine? Shabbat brachas with wine. Prismila with wine. Pinyin Aben with wine. Siyav with wine. If you're telling me that the Satan is a partner in all this wine, so why do we do all these things with wine? So the Medrash says as a tikkun, the tikkun for what happened then and all this terrible stuff that happened from that wine, to be massacring it, we do mitzvahs with wine. What, and this is, this is the end of my share. And this is the point I want to make tonight. And this was Noyach's mistake. I want to read it to you from my notes because I think I wrote it like so perfect for once in my life. Guy comes home. He's married to his wife 25 years. She's sitting at the table. He never talks to her. Never talks to her. The relationship is, is not good. Not because they're married 25 years. Just happens. This relationship is not good. Huh? He goes into the refrigerator, pulls out six pack of beer, opens it up. One, two, three, four, five, five bottles of beer. He is blitzed. He is flying. Looks at her and says, Wow! You look beautiful! You are amazing. Wow, you're so pretty. I never really got a chance to look at you. She's sitting there and he goes, you know what I want to do? You know what I want to do? I want to take you out, baby. I want to take you out for dinner. We're going to get in the car. We're going to get dressed up. We're going to go out to eat. You're so beautiful. Oh, I love you so much. And her reaction to this raving, miserable, maniac, drunk is go to bed, go to sleep, and leave me alone you're drunk. Now, that's why you don't drink wine. Now we'll change the story a little bit. Guy comes home, doesn't drink anything. Comes home, his wife is at the table, he sits down, he says, wow, you know, I've been really busy, I haven't really gotten a chance to look at you and talk to you. I just want to tell you, the most amazing woman in the whole world, I love you, you're beautiful, ah. I have no words for you. He's not drunk. He's like, Mamish, right? So first she's like, what did you do wrong? <laughs> like, what's this business that you're coming home with all these compliments? But once we get past that, he says, you know what? He says, don't make supper tonight. You know what? Let's go out to eat. 
I, we need to talk. I, I just want to see you on the other side of the table. Let's just go out. No noise, no kids. Get a babysitter. Get it. You know, let's, let's just go out to eat in Manhattan, a nice restaurant, just the two of us. And they go out, and she's all like, wow, lovey-dovey. And they go out to this restaurant, and they sit at the table, and he's sitting there, and they order the entree, and then he says, how about a nice glass of wine? And, Is she, and a glass of water. Thank you. Great timing. Thank you very much. <laughs> and was that timing? That's timing. All right? And he says, let's have a glass of wine together. Is she going to answer him back? You low-life drunk. No, he's not drunk. He wants to have a little glass of wine together with his wife because they're happy together. And the happiness will be magnified a little bit by this glass of wine. What a difference in the two stories. That's why... When you go to a Sheva Brachis, when you go to a wedding, when you do bris milah, first you do the mitzvah of bris milah. And you show Hashem that I love you and we're happy. Hashem says, oh, we're happy and you love me? Well, have a glass of wine, feel good. Not that you get blitzed on Shabbos, so blitzed that you're at Shabbos. Oh, Shabbos is great because I sleep 12 hours. And the other eight hours, I go from this guy's house to this guy's house, and I go to every single kiddush, and I tell these guys that do it. I say, I just want you to know that in the next world, you're going to get such a patch. What do you mean? It's Shabbos, Simcha Shabbos. I'm like, such a patch. Because what you're telling Hashem is that Shabbos is disgusting, it's ugly, it stinks, it's boring. But you know how I get through it? I get blitzed. When I'm blitzed, Shabbos sounds good. I can sing Zmiris. And these guys that are blitzed, if you ever seen, you ever go to these kiddush, right? They sit there, and the guys that are blitzed sit around the table, and they're singing. So my friend said to me, you see? You see, drinking is good. And I'm like, what drinking is good? Hashem is sitting there and saying, go to bed, you drunk. That's how you, that's how you respect me on Shabbos? That by getting drunk, now you're telling me I'm, I'm good, Shabbos is good? Get out of here. Go to bed, you drunk. Get away from me. A person that sings mirrors on Shabbos because he's drunk? Get out of here. Oh, you're having a Shabbos meal and you're talking Torah with your family and you just came home from the Chadaydi and you love me and you want to have a glass of wine. Beautiful. It's an Indian to make Kiddush. It's Kiddusha. Kiddush is Kiddusha. Sure you should make Kiddush. But if the Kiddush is what makes you happy, get out of here. You're just a drunk coming home to his wife saying she's beautiful because I'm drunk. Is Shabbos so disgusting that everybody has to go to Kiddush parties to drink enough? Got women's husbands have to drink enough that they sit at the table, that they're so drunk, oh, now Shabbos is nice. Chas v'shalom. So the mitzvah has to come first, then the Kiddush, then the Yayin. The Brasmila, the Pinyon Aben, the Siyam, beautiful. You're showing Hashem you love you, you're taking him out. Hashem says, let's have a, let's have a glass of wine together. The Simcha has to come from the mitzvah. The Simcha, don't ever think don't ever think in your life that a pair of shoes or dress or jewelry or any of the things from the outside will ever make you happy. They will not ever make you happy. They will magnify your happiness. If the marriage is good and the husband comes home and buys his wife a piece of jewelry, then that happiness that she has will be magnified. But if they have a miserable marriage and the guy comes home and buys her a million dollar ring, she'll throw it back in it. She can't throw it, but she'd like to... Th- don't, don't give me the ring. Just just talk to me. Be a mensch. I don't want your ring. So the ring and the rose and all the things that a person has in life are from the outside. They magnify what is inside. 
but you can never find happiness from the outside. Happiness has to come from the inside, and that's Rav Nachman's story. It's a two-second story. It's not even a story. It's actually one of his one of his shorts. We know that Rav Nachman very much believes, and fact, it's true that everything has to be with simcha. And he says a story about a poor man that used to dig in the ground plants. One day he dug in the ground. I know it's very late, but this is worth it. You'll take this home for Shabbos. He digs in the ground and he finds a huge diamond. And he goes to the jeweler and he says, I want to sell this diamond. The jeweler says, there's nobody in this town that can buy this. You have to go to London. You have to go to London. You go to London, there are jewelers that can buy this diamond. Here you can't buy the diamond. So he has no money. How's he going to get on a boat to go to London? He has a diamond. Nobody, nobody's willing to pay for the diamond because nobody has the money. How's he going to get on the boat? So he's very smart, this poor man. So he goes to the, to the captain of the boat and he says, I would like to come onto your boat. I have a crazy diamond that I'm going to sell in London. The, the captain looks at the diamond, figuring, oh my goodness, if he has a diamond like that, he has plenty of money. Don't have to pay me right now. Pay me at the end of the trip. So he's getting this free trip, and he's figuring at the end of the trip, he'll sell his diamond. He'll pay the, he'll pay the captain. His mazel, his mazel, every day, he sits in his room, and he keeps the diamond in front of him on the table, and he's looking at it. He can't believe that he had such, Hashem gave him such a matana. He's going to be a millionaire. He's not a millionaire yet, because no one bought it yet. And he's so happy, and he's so happy, and he leaves it on the table one day, and he forgets. And he walks out to go walking. And the guy who cleans the rooms comes. And he sees crumbs and cake on the table that are old. So he takes the whole tablecloth and he throws it out the window. And of course, this guy's diamond was on the tablecloth. The guy never saw it. And the diamond's out the window. So now the guy comes back and he sits down. And he goes, oh my goodness, where's the day? He said, where'd you... Oh my goodness, he threw it out the... Oh. So he starts to panic. Because he knows that the captain of the boat is going to kill him. This is the kind of guy that you don't pay your fear... You're dead. How's he going to pay his fear? He has nothing anymore. But he's smart. And he says, if I'm going to run to the captain and say, oh my goodness, have mercy, I lost the diamond, the captain's going to chop his head off. If he's going to walk around broken, the captain's going to know that something happened. So he did the opposite. He went around, right? The simcha. How are you? What's happening? Can I get the best thing on the menu? making it look like that he had the money still so the captain wouldn't know. Now, the captain thinks he has all this money, so one day, they're very close to ready to coming to shore, and he comes to the says, I need a favor from you. He says, this boat that we're on is full of wheat. Now, I got this wheat, and I want to sell it in the marketplace, but if, being that I live in London, if I sell it in the marketplace, right, under my name, I'm going to have to pay crazy taxes. So, do me a favor. I'm going to write a star, a contract, that all the wheat in the boat belongs to you. And you're going to sell it under your name. You'll pay very little taxes. And then you'll give me the money. Would you do that for me? Sure, I'll do it for you, he says. No problem. Of course I'll do it for you. Wait till this guy finds out. I don't have anything. Right? This poor man's mazel. When they're pulling the boat into London, the captain of the boat has a heart attack and dies on the spot. And now this poor man is sitting with a boatload of wheat in his name. Mm. Worth ten times more than that diamond was worth. That's the story. What is the Rav Nachman saying over here? Rav Nachman ends the story and he says that you should know that the diamond that this guy found was never his. He always says this, Rav Nachman. It's a very deep thought. That something that's yours, nobody can take away. Therefore, life it's not yours. Somebody could kill you, right? You could die any moment. Life is not yours. Your money is not yours. Somebody could take it away. Your health 
is not yours. It can be taken away. And being that everything that a person has can be taken away, Rav Nachman says, nothing is yours. Except what can't be taken away. What can't be taken away? Your mitzvahs and your mitzvahs. The good deeds that you do in the world, that can't be taken away from you. That's yours. But everything else in the world, not yours. So Rav Nachman said, the diamond was never his. The wheat became his. It's a very, very Kabbalistic deep story. But I'm, I'm just going to tell you the top of the story. With the top of the story is like this. That if a person loses something, he should know that it was never his to lose. And therefore, walking around sad will let the captain of the ship is Yetzirah. will let the Yetzirah know that he made you sad. If he made you sad, then he knows he won. But, if he goes ahead and he takes something away from you, and you're like, I lost a million dollars, but that's what Hashem wanted. If do as Hashem, Besimcha, right? The Satan is going to say, Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, the guy's happy. And what you lost, what you lost is what he's saying. What you lost was never yours anyway. Don't worry about the money. But Simcha, inner happiness, that's yours. Inner happiness, nobody can take away from you. So he says the bundle of wheat, this beautiful muscle. He says the bundle of wheat is worth much more than the diamonds. The Simcha that a person has in their heart is worth much more than anything that anyone could ever take away from you in this world. There's nothing worth more than a person's simcha, because a person's simcha in his heart means you're connected to Kashbaku and you believe in a Kashbaku. If you don't believe him, then you think it was yours, then you're angry. So the simcha in a person's heart means you're connected in the highest realm with God. And that nobody can take away from you. And that's worth more than anything, anything you own in this world. The thing that's worth more is simcha. And that's the mistake Noah made. Wow. Noah planted a vineyard thinking that that vineyard could get him out of the pain of watching the world be destroyed. When all he needed to do was to get closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not, to, not to use an outside force. My bracha to everyone here is that you should all find the Mitzvah Hashem now and in your life, your inner simcha, and all the things that you get will, is just going to magnify Mitzvah Hashem You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.